as a congregation. I, I, I value uh, congregations that are like-minded and who are faithful to the Lord and um, elders and ministers who are likewise faithful to the Lord. And, and so I, I, I want to express my, my love and affection for you all as well uh, as for my congregation. And I must say that the reason why I, after I preach, I'm going to walk right out that door is not because I don't want to have communion with you. I, I would love to have communion with you and to stay for the service, but I have to go preach at my church. So just know that's why I'm, I'm leaving um, as soon as I, I'm done preaching here. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 8. Uh, verses 3 through 8. Hear now God's holy and infallible word. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, and the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ Jesus on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. I have a memory uh, a distinct memory of my father when I was a, a young teenager. He had returned from a, a medical mission to Tanzania. My, my father's a retired dentist. And he, um, he went to Tanzania for a few weeks. And if you know anything about uh, that country in Africa, like most countries in Africa, it's, it's poor. And he, he spent uh, two or, two or three, a few weeks there Helping them and, and, and doing dental work. And he, he described how many times he, he didn't have uh, pain relief for them. And, and he had to reuse needles. And, and he had to uh, you know, recycle the plastic gloves. And you know, he talked about how he, he, he only drank from a bottled water. And the food that he ate had to be well cooked. Chicken and rice. And, and you know, mainly chicken and, and rice. And the people there, their homes... They didn't have this nice carpet on the ground. If they had flooring, it was old and, and shambled, maybe just dirt. They were poor. And, and I remember him coming back and telling us these things. And then that night, we're at the dinner table, and I'm, I'm one of, how many kids? I'm one of nine kids. I have a big family, eight siblings. And there we are, most of us there around the dinner table. My mom makes really good french fries. And uh, I think it was my brother and I debating and fighting over the french fries. And we were scuffling and arguing. And, and I remember my dad very vividly because my dad's a calm, calm man. And he, and he's, he's, he just looked up and he, he, he rebuked us. He said, kids, you live like kings and queens. Be thankful. Stop complaining. Do you not realize 
all the blessings, all the riches that you have here, stop complaining. And I, I know that if you're like me, you, you, you sometimes will forget all of the blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. And you look at the fact that, that you, you don't have uh, the, the job that you'd like. You, you, don't, uh, you don't maybe even live in a state that you would prefer to live in. You know, maybe, maybe you've even had the thought that my spouse, my spouse could be better. My kids could be better. My health could be better. And I realize that all of you, you're just like me, you're just like my congregation. You do have tri- trials, you do have troubles. There's, I'm sure, many people in this, this room who do have health problems. You do have difficulties, and you do cry out to God, and you do weep. But are you also thankful? Do you, do you lift up your eyes to heaven? Do you remember? Death is not your shepherd. You have Christ. You have plenty to be thankful for. These are the things I want you to, to think about this morning from this passage of Scripture. I mentioned last week in my congregation, I preached from the first two verses, and, and I want to mention to you just in context, um, Paul is a missionary. Christ has, has come. He's, he's, he's died. He's rose again. He, he went into heaven. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. Men like Paul, uh, other apostles are going forth. They're doing mission work. They're planting churches. Paul has been doing this for, for some time. He's about halfway through his mission uh, endeavors. He's in Rome. He's a, he's a prisoner in Rome. Colossae is a, a church that's been founded um, by his fruit, but not him personally. Most likely it was Epaphras, who we read about in our text, who was their church planting pastor. You all know something about that? And they have a problem in Colossae. Just like all congregations face trials, they have problems. Colossae has got this theological error going on, and I'm not going to say much about that. We see it throughout the, the letter. The, the, the purpose of the letter is to lift Christ up back into the minds of the Colossians. He doesn't have the preeminence. And so they have this problem, and so Paul's writing this letter, and despite their problems, he, he, he tells God, or he, he, he's thankful for them, and he, he tells how he gives thanks for them. And what we see in this, uh, these first few verses, we see this lesson. Give thanks to God for your spiritual fruits, which He has graciously and powerfully imparted to you through the gospel and its ministers. That's what we learn here. Again, give thanks to God for your spiritual fruits, which He graciously and powerfully imparted to you through the gospel and its ministers. And I have four points for you uh, this morning. Four points. First, I want you to simply give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. I want you to see the theme of this text. Verse 3 says, we give thanks Now, giving thanks is expressing gratitude to someone for something that they did. My wife is the best thing that's happened to me besides knowing Christ. And almost every morning, I get up, I do my thing, and I I walk out, 
uh, eventually I'll, I'll get in my car and go to work, and she hands me my lunch that, I, that I'll eat at the church building. And I thank her for it because she did it. She made it for me. I, did, I, I definitely didn't make my lunch. Maybe I should make my lunch more. But, um, and so this is what the idea. We're giving thanks to a person, and it's specifically to the second person of the Trinity. If you notice, give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we can understand something about uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Son of God, therefore He has a Father. But notice it says to the God um, of, our, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we understand that because Christ is not only God, He's also a, a man. And He's our mediator. And He is, uh, the Father is His God because He is the representative of His people. Uh, Jesus uses this language in John 20, verse 17. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. It's not suggesting that Jesus is not God. But in that sense, uh, the Father is also the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank specifically the Father. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be inappropriate or wrong, of course, to thank Jesus and to pray to Jesus. Um, but preeminently, we, we pray and we give thanks to, to the Father James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And notice the manner of Paul's thanks. He says, uh, and I'm reading from the New King James, uh, the ESV is, is better here. In the New King James, it says, praying always for you. Praying always for you. It seems to suggest that Paul is always praying for the Colossians. It's better to take it like the English Standard Version. He's always thanking God when he prays for this. We always give, uh, thank God. This is the ESV. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Many of you, uh, you have the custom of praying before you eat a meal. Kids, what do your parents do? Before you, you eat a meal, they, they thank God, don't they? Almost always you thank God before you eat, right? Well, here's Paul. Okay, here's Paul. And he remembers the Colossians, all their problems. What's the thing he does? The first thing he always does, or at least he always thanks God for them. Now, there is something to be uh, learned here from this first point. And part of it is, is what I'm going to call Christian psychology. I, 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 I'm going to use that word because it provokes a lot of, you know, psychology. That's a big topic, you know. Think about it. Paul knows that they have problems. The Colossian church has problems. What's the first thing he does? He tells them of their spiritual fruit. He tells them of, of their graces. He, he, in a sense, condescends to them. Jesus does the same thing in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He doesn't outright, just directly, up front rebuke her. He's gentle with her. A little bit different than what we, the gentleness that we see here, but it's the same idea. One commentator writes about this verse here. First of all, Paul assures. First of all, Paul assures those to whom this letter is sent that he is convinced that the work of God's grace is evident in their lives. What a lesson. What a lesson for every parent, every pastor, elder, teacher, counselor. 
When you're dealing with people who, who need to be corrected, yes, correct them. You're not loving them when you don't correct them. But be patient with them. Be gentle toward them. Paul's not lying here. He's not fabricating things. You don't, we don't manipulate people. But we are gentle with them. But the real lesson here that I want you to think about is the question, are you, are you thankful to God? Just that simple point. Are you thankful to God? Many of you here, uh, you, you, you have uh, a good job. You make money. You, you have an education. Uh, you've accomplished things. Many of you have uh, a ministry um, among yourselves. You, 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 they, people look to you for counseling, for leadership. And there's a sense in which you can say that you do these things, that you've accomplished these things. Do you thank God for those things? Because He's given them to you. Do you still thank God for those things? Paul, Paul's not the church planting pastor here. We have reason to believe from chapter 2 uh, that he's never seen their face. He's never been there. It was a result of, but it was a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus for two years. And I, I wish I could preach more of that on that and explain um, as I did last week with my congregation. But Paul has a reason to, humanly speaking, to, to, to boast, if you will. But he thinks God, he thinks God that this is uh, the way they are. Do you thank God for the things that you've done? Do you say in your heart, I am what I am only uh, by the grace of God. Amen. Give thanks to God. Now, here's the thing. The rest of the, ver uh, the, the passage here is, is he's, he's established a theme of thanks. You'll notice in verse 9, he, he tells them what he actually prays uh, for. But the rest of this paragraph is about thanks, and he tells uh, them what he thanks God uh, for. What is it that he thanks God for? The first thing is their spiritual fruits. Spiritual fruits, verses 4 to the first part of verse uh, 5. So secondly, give thanks to God for your spiritual fruits. And he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Faith, love, and hope. Or if you like faith, hope, uh, and love. Now, these are fruits. These are, these are uh, things that God has bestowed and given uh, through His Spirit, by His Spirit. This, these, these come out in the Christian life. And, and uh, verse 4, uh, the word since uh, needs to be understood. This is a reason. He's giving a reason for why he gives thanks. The word since can, can mean different things. Um, I've been in this pulpit since 927. Okay, that's a time idea. Okay? I'm in this pu pulpit since your pastor couldn't preach. That's a reason. Because your pastor couldn't preach this morning, I'm in this pulpit. Well, he's giving a, a reason. Because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, faith is the first grace that he mentions. And I believe it's because it's the first grace. Faith is, is, is a sense in which faith is preeminent. Because you don't have faith, you're not going to have love. Faith, resting upon Christ, knowing about the gospel, believing that it's true, 
And in the case of conversion, relying upon Christ for salvation, for justification, for, for forgiveness. In the case of sanctification, relying upon Jesus and His Spirit, trusting in Him, depending upon Him. And notice the object of faith. I want you to think about this. Very important. Object of faith. There's a lot of discussion in Fresno, California. There's a lot of faith in Fresno, California. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of different types of people. And they, and faith, I mean, that's a, that's a general word people use. What's the object of your faith? That's the question. Faith in Christ Jesus is the only thing that matters. And I, I want to speak to you for a moment uh, on that. You, you can be here and you can have faith in yourself. There's a lot of people who go to church, even evangelical churches, they have faith in themselves. They, 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 well, I come, I, you, know, I, you know, I came to a um, church plan and I, I want to help them out and, you know, they need uh, me to help them out and, and um, I'm going to do this because this will help me earn my way to heaven. Okay. Um, that person's trusting in themselves. They're not having faith in Christ. Faith in Christ to, to be their, uh, their righteousness. Faith in Christ Jesus. Do you have faith in Christ Jesus? This is the first grace. This is the premier thing. Children, children, young people, do you have faith? Do you have faith in Christ Jesus? And does this faith boil over into love? of your love for all the saints. Now, love is faith in action. Paul says faith works through love. Your, your faith in Christ will, will, will cause you to love Him, love God and His people, to love worship, to love being here under the preaching of the Word, to love fellowship with, uh, with other Christians afterwards, to love the prayer meeting, to be with God's people, to invest in them. And what's interesting here is he says all the saints, the ugly ones, the mean ones, the ones that kind of annoy you because they forgot to watch the nursery and you had to watch nursery two weeks in a row and they didn't say anything about it and, you know, all the saints. Do you think about that? Do you, do you love all the saints here? Listen, the devil wants you to harbor bitterness with your spouse, with your kids, your pastor, with the person sitting next to you. Don't harbor bitterness. Remember, Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. I love, love for all the saints and hope. Verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. There's some discussion on how to understand this, and I want to speed things on a, a little bit here. The point is, is that this is another reason for giving of thanks. I give thanks because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The idea is the hope, the hope here, the word hope here is standing for the thing hoped for. Uh, in other words, the, the Christians in Colossae, at least to some degree, enough degree for Paul to say this, they, they are confident that Christ really is the Son of God, that He's the only means of salvation, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And even though they might not be in heaven, they might as well be because they are certain of it. Hope. Hope. This is what, this is from a, at least from one perspective, is why so many of our forefathers in the faith and, 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 and um, forebearers, 
spiritual mothers, why they were willing to be burned at the stake. Because they were certain that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They had that assurance, that hope. Now, you may not have assurance of your salvation. And you may very well be saved. But it's a great grace to be convinced. Convinced of the truth of God's Word. Kids, are you convinced of the truth that Pastor Mills, that Brad speaks to you? On a regular basis. It's a great grace. It's a great grace. And this is what you should be thankful for. You can, you can focus on temporal things, earthly things. I don't like the way I look. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't um, you know, it's all kind of, I don't like the car I have. And, and, and there's, you, know, you can be very sad and, and, and your sadness for your, your health, poor health can kind of bubble over into complaining. I have perfect health. I, I, God has blessed me with perfect health. Um, there's times to be sad. Lift your eyes up. Paul focuses on the spiritual things. Give thanks for your spiritual fruits. I don't want to go over my time. I, I try, I'll try to speed through a little bit more versus uh, my third and fourth point. But he transitions at, at the, in the middle of verse 5 and through it into verse 6. He transitions from the spiritual fruits to the gospel itself. He, he, he thanks God for a gracious and powerful gospel. Notice how he says, um, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which, okay, referring to hope, okay, the hope of eternal life, uh, the hope of salvation in Christ, uh, this is the gospel, right? Of which you, you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And he's transitioning to the gospel. Now, there was people, most likely Epaphras, we, we, we should see a big connection with Epaphras for, for different reasons. Uh, he probably was their church-planting pastor, certainly at this point was their pastor. They had heard the gospel, not this gospel that these other people were teaching in Colossae, but the truth of it, the, the reality, the full gospel, the real gospel. They had heard of it. And that gospel, verse 6, has, has come to them, which has come to you. And so I want you to say in this third point is the grace of the gospel. Okay, the gospel was not something that the Colossians, uh, the Colossians were seeking. It came to them. It came to them. Listen, people outside of grace do not search for the gospel. They're at enmity with God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. This is... The psalmist, this is what Paul says in Romans 3. God looked down from heaven, Genesis 6, 5. He saw that, that all the, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Grace, grace. God came to them. He came to them. They were um, foul they were foul people. I want you to think about the fact that the Colossians, they, they were not only seeking, but they were actually uh, dirty. They were sinners. They had violated God's law. They were idolaters. One commentator writes, it's not just that um, they, they have problems now. Before the grace of God came to them, listen to this. We should observe in this event the marvelous goodness of God 
towards the Colossians, for they were a barbarous and idolatrous people. Listen to this. Very far off from the country and the religion of Israel, a province, a province infamous for its abominations. Think about the Colossians apart from the gospel. A province infamous for its abominations whence had issued the mysterious and infernal devotions of Sibyl, the most detestable of all pagan idols, in whose service were committed the most unclean and shameful horrors. The Colossians were immersed in this vile gulf when the Lord visited them. The Lord visited them in that condition. I'm speaking to you this morning as God's people, as people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. Before Christ came to you, you were vile. You were vile. Even, even if you're like me and you, you never remember a day that you, you, don't, you didn't know the Lord Jesus. We sang uh, from Psalm 51. I remember saying the words right there, conceived in iniquity. Some of you may remember that before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you were a drunkard. You did drugs. You hated your spouse. You were a liar. You stole things. You spoke language that you would never utter in this room. And Christ came to you. He came to you. The gospel is a gracious gospel. It's also a powerful gospel because, you know, you, 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 know you, you can be entrenched in your sin and, and you need power. You were a drunkard and you can't put it off. You know, you, you, know, you, you were an incessant gossiper and liar. And you just, you can't stop doing this. You need power. The gospel is also very powerful. Notice what it says, um, which has come to you. As it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. I want you to look at, think of that word there, the world. Now, there's two types of people in the world. There's two types of people in this room. There are those who are in the kingdom of Christ. And there are those who are in the kingdom of Satan. They're in the world. The gospel came to those who were in the world, who were under the power of Satan. Paul tells Timothy, he describes the unbeliever as one who's been taken captive by Satan to do his will. John says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Power. Power. Christ came in the gospel and he snatched them from Satan. They were in the world. The gospel went uh, throughout the whole world. Uh, I want to make a comment about that. How do we understand that? You know, the Bible was written by two authors. I want you to think about this. It's not a heresy. Two authors. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Everything's true. Everything's perfect. That's all, all we need is the Bible. It makes us thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
But the Bible was also written by, by man. Paul is speaking about the known world. Okay, Africa, the Mediterranean Sea, parts of the east. He's not speaking about Australia. He, he didn't know about Australia. You get my point? So he's talking about how the gospel in these 30 years since Christ has died and risen until about now, about 30, 25 years or so, it's gone throughout the whole world. That's power. That's encouraging. I mean, no other religion can say that. There's a lot to be said about that. I mean, the Muslims' faith kind of grew a lot, but it grew by the sword over decades, if not centuries. One author writes, uh, one um, Justin Martyr, he's uh, middle of the second century, he says, there is no people, Greek or barbarian, or of any other race by whatever appellation or manners they may be distinguished. However, ignorant of arts or agriculture, where they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the Father and Creator of all things. It's powerful throughout the whole world. It's even working in Christians who've been converted, but they're still growing in grace. Notice the power in that regard. As it, also, uh, as it is also among you since, that's a temporal idea, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The idea is that they came to faith. And since then, they've been bringing fruit. They've been growing. I mentioned my father at the beginning of the um, sermon, and, and I'm, I'll mention him again. I've been encouraged by my father. My dad's 73 years old. And in the last six, seven years, for just many different reasons, uh, while I was in seminary and I've been out here, and my father and my mother have really grown in the Lord. They love their kids. They love their grandkids. They serve their church. They're growing in their knowledge. They're studying the Bible. I've been really encouraged by that. It's the power of the gospel. You know the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? I guess there's some truth to that in some other way of describing human behavior, but it's not true spiritually. You may be, have known the Lord for 40 years, and you wouldn't consider yourself a mature Christian or something like that. The gospel can still grow you. The gospel can still grow you. Now, um, this is encouraging for a church plant, a young, young church. The gospel is powerful. Paul doesn't put confidence in his, his ability uh, to outwit those he's speaking to in the synagogue. He's drawing a focus upon the gospel itself. Are you, do you have a master's degree? Do you know, do you know apologetics real well? Do you, do you consider yourself an intelligent person? Do you have a lot of Bible verses memorized? Listen, that should not keep you from sharing the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. I mentioned, uh, your pastor mentioned, um, forgive me if I'm going over time, I, I'll try to hurry through this. I, I want to say this to you, I, um, I heard him talk about a prayer meeting. Listen, God's all powerful, and His gospel is, is pure, and it's clean, there's no deficiencies with it. God's a God of means. You want to see the power of the gospel? You want to see adult baptism? Come to the prayer meeting. Call upon the name of the Lord. How many of you in this room? Come to the prayer meetings. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. 
Y'all, all of y'all may come to the prayer meetings. When's the last time you saw an adult baptism in this church? Could have been last week. I, I don't know. Are you coming to the prayer meeting? There's nothing wrong with the gospel. Just share it and ask the Lord in your prayers and in your corporate prayers to bless it. Now, quickly, I, I, um, fourth point here. Uh, I, say, I say quickly, I, I, I apologize. I, um, I, I don't want to speak longer than I should. Verse 7 and verse 8, give thanks to God for the ministers of the gospel. Brad Mills, give thanks for such men. Verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is continuing the idea. This is what he thinks about, and then he prays about and thanks God for when he thinks about the Colossians. They have a faithful minister of the gospel, Epaphras. On, uh, it says, on your behalf. It's very clear that at least at this point, Epaphras is their pastor. And, and what are pastors supposed to be like? What are ministers of the gospel? And I think by connection also elders. What are they supposed to be like? Well, they're supposed to serve their people. He says, our dear fellow servant. Servant. Okay? Uh, ministers of the gospel who are faithful, they, they serve their people. They study hard in their, in their study. So they might have true things to say from the pulpit that are applicable. And they, they keep reading because they need to keep feeding their sheep. They, they labor in prayer for their sheep. They come to church on Sunday and they, and they, want, to, they want to speak to them, even the, even the mean ones. Because they love them and they're serving them. And they want to talk to them. They, they visit with them. They're their servants. Servants. Pastor is a servant. The pastor is also not just one who serves the people, but he also serves Christ. In fact, preeminently, he serves Christ. He's an ambassador of Christ. Look, it says, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. There's a lot of ministers of the gospel in this city who, who do not get this point. They don't rebuke their, their, their congregation. They don't correct their congregation. They preach on the verses that are just nice and warm. Not about sin. See, a minister is faithful to Christ also. Verse 8, they know and keep the, uh, up with their flocks. They know the condition of their flocks. Verse 8, who has also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Think about this. Paphras is their pastor, but he's come to Rome he said, Paul, here's the thing. I mean, you know, these, these people teaching this Gnostic heresy, and I need some help. I need some apostolic help. You know, he, he knows they need help. He doesn't spend too much time in this study. And he cares about them because he's like, man, I need some reinforcements. Let's, Paul, what's, you need to write us a letter. What's, what's going on here? He, he knows their, their condition. And I do want to mention a word to, to your pastor and also by connection your elders. Are you doing this? Are you doing this? This is what you're, you're, you're to be doing. If, if you're not doing this, if you're in, in it, the, the ministry uh, for your own glory, if you're, if you're an elder and you just like to have authority, then change. But also, I want to speak to you, uh, congregation, 
I've known your pastor for a year, and I have no desire to flatter him in front of you, but I believe he's a, he's a faithful minister. And you need to be thankful. And you need to hold him with much love. You need, you need to, to esteem him highly for Christ's sake. Paul does. I actually skipped over this. Our dear, our dear fellow servant. Paul loves Epaphras. He loves him. Do you love your pastor? What a gift from God. You have a faithful minister of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5. And I'll, and I'll wrap it up with this here. I want you to think about this. Do you esteem your pastor? Verse Thessalonians 5, verse 13, and verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You have a man who will correct you if you're sin, if you're living in sin. What a blessing. You have a man who studies God's word that he might speak every week words that are true, words that are practical to you. There's a lot of pastors, unfortunately, in this city who don't really do that. What a blessing. Give thanks to God for your spiritual fruits, which he has graciously and powerfully imparted to you in the gospel, through the gospel and through, through its ministers. Are you thankful? That's the question. Are you thankful? Do, do you find yourself looking at the French fries that I, that I coveted at the table, fighting and bickering and, and, and wanting this and that and noticing you don't have this and don't have that? And do you, do you fail Brothers and sisters in Christ, you make it a habit to recognize all of your blessings. Give thanks. Amen. Let's pray.